We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com live post-game show slash podcast. If you're listening to this tomorrow, it's probably the podcast version. But if you're joining me live, coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, oh, we've got a lot to talk about, everybody. The Lakers find a way, and yes, that's what I put in the title, find a way to lose to the Atlanta Hawks in this one. They lost. 129 to 121, despite leading heading into the fourth quarter, they lose the fourth quarter 38 to 20. 38 to 20, they lose the fourth quarter, had a, again a double digit lead heading into the fourth, and the Lakers found a way to give that away. In fact, they had given away the entire 10 point lead within the first four minutes of the fourth quarter, a complete meltdown from the Lakers. So what happened? No LeBron James. Of course, we'll talk about that. His knee, something monitored moving forward. Anthony Davis, he was good. Russell Westbrook, objectively, pretty good. Malik Monk, fantastic. Still found a way to lose the game. Got to be a lot of frustrated Lakers fans out there. Certainly feeling you on that one. We'll break everything down here. We're going to go through the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you haven't done so already, make sure you are subscribing right here to the LakersNation.com YouTube channel. Turn on those notifications as well. I'm already seeing a lot of comments here in the chat. Folks, we will get through this together as we always do. This will be more of a venting session, I think, for a lot of us rather than a typical show would be because I'm already seeing people who are fired up in our chat. I've got uh, Mustafa Doty said, hey, Trevor, our problem is that we rely on a 37-year-old goat just to win games. Wayne Ellington uh, is the funniest Laker, by the way. AD uh, looked depressed losing. Yeah, I mean, he looked sad. Uh, Hulk Smash said this team is absolute garbage. They're an abomination. Oh, boy, we're going incredible Hulk villains now. Um, yeah, look, the Lakers did not, look, did not look good, especially in that fourth quarter. As Mustafa notes, uh, relying on LeBron, these, there's just two games in a row where you could say, if LeBron's playing, the Lakers very clearly win, right? LeBron plays, the Lakers win both these games. They beat the Hornets, they beat the Hawks, and these are important games. And we're looking at the standings. You look at the standings and you see where the Lakers are at. They've done this already. 
they've burned through all of these kinds of games that you could possibly have. Any of that leeway, it's gone. Their margin for error is, is evaporated because they did this too much in the first half of the season, giving away games that should have been on the record as a win. They found ways to turn them into losses. And now when you do this from here on out, it's that much more damaging. You don't have that buffer anymore. You just, you don't. There's a, a number of games. If you're a playoff team in the NBA, you know you've got a handful of games that on any given day, you just don't have it. You wind up getting a loss. You really should have won. Okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen over the course of a season, but you can only do that so many times. And the Lakers are already well past their limit in terms of how many times they can do this, what we saw today, and yet they continue to find ways to lose some of these games, which it's frustrating for the team, certainly frustrating for the players and frustrating for Lakers fans, as I'm seeing in the comments section. And rightfully so. Again, this is not a game that they should have lost. Now, the Hawks have been red hot. This is now seven wins in a row for the Hawks. They had won six straight heading into this one. They were the heavy favorite. They were the six-point favorite coming into this game. But again, if you're the Lakers and you just had one of your best offensive games ever, in fact, they had the best shooting half in the first half of any team all season, like of the entire NBA, best shooting half of any team. They were over 71% from the field. Their best shooting half as a team since 2011. You get... 33 points out of Malik Monk on 12 for 19 shooting. You shoot 54% from the field and 43% from three. You get 27 and 12 from Russ. You get 27 from Anthony Davis. That should be enough to go beat the Atlanta Hawks. So why did they not win? Because the Hawks shot 58%. They only shot 32% from three, but the Hawks shot 58% from the field. Yep. That's Lakers defense that let them down in this one down the stretch. And I put it out there on Twitter right before the fourth quarter started. I said, Lakers offense has been hot, but they're going to have to win this game with defense. Instead, didn't happen. Didn't happen. And part of this is their offense. I know I want to, I'm saying that the defense was a problem. Part of it though, was because of the offense. Offense and defense are very, very interconnected. So we saw a number of plays where the Lakers made the right read on offense, kicked out to an open shooter, Mello for three, and it just barely rimmed out, and that got the, the Hawks in transition the other way. Misses on the offensive end sparked the Hawks' offense and put the Lakers' defense in a difficult position. So we saw that happen a lot in the fourth as well, where the Lakers maybe generated a good look and then just couldn't get it going, um, just couldn't get the shot to drop. We even saw Anthony Davis missed a lob. Missed a lob, and that got the Hawks going the other direction, off and running, and that really, really put the Lakers in a tough spot. So defensively, when you know you need to step up, you need your offense to get some easy buckets for you so you can get your defense set, get some stops, and then get yourself in transition. Unfortunately for the Lakers, it went the other way. And I'll tell you what I really didn't like is once things got into crunch time, once the Hawks got close and the Hawks had all this, this energy, this momentum, you could sense the Lakers' offense just... It just tensed up. We All the stuff they did to get to the point they were at just stopped. Just stopped. The stuff that they did that was working to get to where they were stopped. We saw stagnation. We saw two-man basketball at best. Everybody else just standing, hoping to try to get a, a shot for a certain guy rather than just play the game. And this is something that I was talking about on Twitter with some people uh, the other day. It's one of my pet peeves in basketball. You see a team get a lead. 
And then they just stopped doing all of the stuff that got them that lead in order to play careful basketball. And usually what you wind up doing is bringing the other team back into the game. Now, the Hawks were already very well back into the game by the time the Lakers offense really fell to pieces. But this let the Hawks defense experience success and feel good. Like, yeah, we can stop this team. And it just ramped them up that much further. And it got their offense going that much better. So the Lakers' own stagnation on the offensive end really fueled the Hawks' defense, which then turned into offensive possessions for them. So it was a snowball. They just got rolling in the wrong direction in the fourth quarter, and the Lakers couldn't put a stop to it. They couldn't put a stop to it because they couldn't force misses on defense enough to get any of their own offense going. And then when they did get down on the offensive end in the half court, it was horrific just so much stagnation on that on the floor it was terrible 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 not a fun watch uh comment here super chat said it's 4 30 a.m in singapore i found myself hitting the gym to shed my despair and frustration can't we really win without lebron well that's a that's a good way to deal with your frustration it's a healthy way to deal with it go out there and do something physical that will certainly help you get through things but can't we win without lebron apparently the answer is no <laughs> that that seems to be the case. And again, Russell Westbrook, this was not on his shoulders. He made mistakes, sure. But I thought Russ was just fine in this game. But this was the point. This was the point of going with three stars, weakening your depth, was to make sure that you had another guy that could help carry you to wins if and when LeBron James was out. That, that's supposed to be Russ. And last game, Russ was great, 35 points. So I'm not saying this is on Russ. But that was the point of going with all of these veteran minimum guys and having a very top heavy team with three stars, not having that much depth was the belief that having that third star would mean that when the time came, when LeBron needed to need to be out for a little bit or whatever, you would have somebody else who could carry the load and get you a win. And it's just not worked. It's just not worked. And again, I'm not blaming this one on, on Russ. Uh, 80 is exerting so much energy at the five, put a rim protector uh, next to him. Also, three six three guards should never be on the floor together. So I know a lot of people have been complaining that Dwight's not getting enough minutes out there. And I can say that in this one, there were some moments where the Lakers in the paint, AD was getting pulled out because he wound up defending a guy like a John Collins or DeAndre Hunter or something like that on a switch. And so that created some problems at the rim where Stanley Johnson's left as your main rim protector. And when that happens... The Hawks, I mean, they were just getting whatever they wanted. And Onyeka Okonwu was scoring like crazy on lobs at the rim. And the Lakers weren't able to really gum up the works there in the middle of the in the middle of the paint. So that was definitely a problem. I don't know if going with Dwight fixes that. Certainly wouldn't hurt it. But again, if you're the Hawks, then you just counter by putting Dwight in situations where he has to defend on the perimeter. You're probably getting some more open looks from deep. The Hawks are typically a really good three-point shooting team. I understand why Frank Vogel went the way that he did, but the way things were playing out, I could also see where, yeah, having another big in there would have helped. Maddie James. <laughs> Trev, I'm curious. Do you think THT is purposefully playing awful to make it harder to trade him as the deadline approaches? I knew there were going to be some comments here on THT. This was a very empty stat line from THT. And I'm not just talking about the stats themselves, because if you look at the game, you go, oh, four for five from the field. Great. He shot well. Nothing else. Four for five from the field, eight points, zeros across the board. And here's the other thing. He played 14 minutes. He played 14 minutes in this game, and that was it. 
That was it. All the other guys got more minutes. Now, part of that you can say was because Malik Monk was red hot. So Monk got 38 minutes. So Monk probably absorbed some of those THT minutes. But still, Frank Vogel in this situation recognized Austin Reeves being on the floor. My undrafted guy, Austin Reeves, has a better chance of getting a win for us than the fourth highest paid Laker in Taylor Horton Tucker. And I thought Austin Reeves was just fine in this game. Didn't have any problems with, with what he did out there. Uh, we even saw guys like Avery Bradley getting more minutes than THT. Going into the season, we wouldn't have expected that. So Taylor Horton Tucker, again, four for five shooting, but this really isn't what you were expecting to see out of him. You were expecting more production. And again, eight points is fine, but you need more in terms of the boards, the assists, the steal. You need more of those hustle stats coming in from THT in this one. I, again, he only played 14 minutes, so I'd have a hard time putting all of the blame on him. But I do think it's indicative of how he's been playing lately when you see other guys getting a lot more minutes than he did. As far as is he doing it on purpose, I would, I would highly, highly doubt that's the case. I would highly doubt that's the case. All right, let me see what else we've got here. The 360 award, by the way, let's go ahead and do that. 360 award, which player between, in this case, no LeBron, so which player between Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook was the best in this game? Chat, let me know, because there could be a little bit of a debate here. Russ, 20 points, 7 boards, 12 assists in 35 minutes, 2 of 4 from 3, 2 of 5 from the free throw line. The Lakers actually shot better from 3, or better from the field, than from the free throw line in this one. How often does that happen? 54% from the field, 52% from the free throw line. They missed 11 free throws in a game that they lost by eight. That could be the game right there. But in any event, Russell Westbrook, 27 and 12, good shooting percentages except for the free throw. Anthony Davis, 27 points, five boards, four assists, two steals, one block. Uh, 10 of 20 shooting, one of three from deep, six of nine from the free throw line, which contrary to popular belief, that is not a nice stat from the free throw line. So let's see what everybody's saying here. Who gets the 360 award in this one? Russell Westbrook or Anthony Davis? Oh, Scott Baker said you don't hand out awards in a game like this. True, that's fair, but... Between Russ and NAD, who do we think had the better game? I've got AD, AD, AD. A lot of people saying AD. I'm kind of leaning that way too. A lot of people saying no awards. <laughs> I get it. Everybody's upset. I agree though. I'm going to go Anthony Davis. I think the silver lining here is that Anthony Davis has looked really good. Um, he's looked like his old self. And that's great to see. Last few games that we've seen him out there, and obviously he's returning from injury in this one, but looked good. Looked good out there on the floor. 27 points again, 10 of 20 shooting. There were, He had a couple of monstrous rebounds, some putbacks, things of that nature. I thought Anthony Davis looked good, and that's a good sign moving forward. Again, LeBron plays. The Lakers win this game. LeBron plays last game. The Lakers win that game. Frank Vogel told us before the game he's still dealing with some swelling in his knee. Not ruled out for the next game against the Portland Trailblazers. That's something that LeBron could very well still play in. Um, but they're just trying to get some swelling under control. And then once they do, he'll be he'll be back. Um, hopefully, that will be the next game. But we'll see. Uh, prominent surge. This team is like the 2012 team. All offensive stars, no defense, continuity, or energy. If we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Well, I love that saying. The team needs changes by the deadline or the offseason. 
Oh, yeah, look, this team's going to look, next season, this team will look very different. I can promise you that, if only because you've got so many players on expiring contracts. So if you're talking about this team looking very different, next season, it's going to look very different, regardless of what happens. Even if they completely turn things around and win a championship, they're going to look very different next season, okay? No matter what the outcome is, next season's going to look different. Can they make moves by the trade deadline to fix this? I don't know. It's not going to be easy. For example, we talked about Taylor Horton Tucker. How many teams out there have seen what Taylor Horton Tucker is doing recently and say, yes, this is a great guy for us to trade for? Now, there are still teams who believe in his upside, but we now are starting to hear about teams who are looking at his contract and actually seeing him as a net negative on his new contract, that they don't think he's worth the league average pay, the mid-level exception. They don't feel like he's worth that. And so they see him as a negative value in a trade. Now, that's not every team, but that's something that's out there. So if you're going to make a change with this team and your main piece that you can offer is THT, Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played this season, and your 2027 first, what's the likelihood that you're going to find a truly impactful deal? Can you find a deal for Taylor Horton Tucker? Yes, I'm sure of it. You can find, if your goal is just trade him, yeah, no problem. You can find something. Finding something that you think will actually help the Lakers, that will likely help the Lakers, that's going to be a bit tougher. That's going to be a bit tougher to find the right move there. So can the Lakers make some big franchise-altering altering move at the trade deadline? I'm skeptical. If it happens, great. If it happens, fantastic. Let's see. But I'm skeptical that they can find a way to get that done just based on the pieces that they have to offer. Again, I go back to, let's say you're in negotiations with Team X and Team X says, we don't really like Taylor Horton Tucker. That's it. You're done. There's nothing else the Lakers can do. It's not like they can go, oh, okay, well, you know what? If you're not a big THT fan, can we offer you this player instead? The Lakers don't have that. Taylor Horton Tucker is the only guy making his salary level, 9.5 million. That's it. He's the only guy they've got. If they had a bunch of other guys on 10 million or 12 million, right in that range, you could go, okay, well, all right, if you don't like THT, here, can we interest you in a Kyle Kuzma or whoever? You would have a lot of other options that you could turn to. But because of the construction of the Lakers roster, they don't have that flexibility here at the trade deadline. I think there will be some options for them, but what I am expecting, I think the most likely thing we see at the trade deadline is the Lakers clearing off some contracts to open up roster spots. And that's not that exciting, but that is, I think, the most likely thing that we see the Lakers do. Now again, fingers crossed, who knows? Rob Palenka is going to leave no stone unturned. Maybe he finds something. Maybe he finds a move out there that really helps the Lakers. But again, I think the most likely thing that we see go down is moving a DeAndre Jordan, someone like that. Um, Kent Bazemore actually played today. We can talk a little bit about that. Um, moving off of one of these contracts in order to open up a roster spot, probably paying cash in order to do it, maybe a second round pick, something in order to open up a roster spot to be a player on the buyout market. And that's really the way the spot the Lakers are at at this point. That's the spot the Lakers are at. Look, the, the Lakers are finding more production out of the guys that they didn't expect to play this season. I'm talking about Stanley Johnson, Avery Bradley, and I know a lot of people aren't very high on Avery Bradley right now, but uh, you've got, of course, Austin Reeves. You're getting more production out of those guys than some of the veterans that you went out and targeted to bring in to carry some of that burden. Wayne Ellington didn't play in this one. Trevor Ariza didn't play. Both of those guys were expected to be, at the very least, rotation pieces. There was talk about Trevor Ariza being a starter. 
heading into the season. I think that was the plan to, was to start Trevor Ariza. And yet you're getting better production out of Stanley Johnson, who was out of the league at the beginning of the season. And Austin Reeves, who was an undrafted rookie and has been a great find for the Lakers. But the problem is that now you still have guys taking up roster spots that you can't really put into the game right now. You can't rely on them for production. And so that's where I think open roster spots might actually help the Lakers because they can use those to go try to find somebody that you can plug in and maybe give you something. All right, let's get into a few more of your questions and comments here. Oh, Rick Madden, what do you think about going after Cam Reddish and Kevin Knox for $5 million each? We need younger players. So I'm assuming you mean in the offseason, Rick. Um, you could, but the problem is where are you going to get that $5 million each? Most likely what the Lakers are going to be working with is the same thing they had this offseason, this past offseason. And that's your mini mid-level exception, which means you could give one player $5 million. Kevin Knox has not been great this season. I think Cam Reddish has some, I'm some, still optimistic on him. I think that he's an interesting guy to target. But you're not, you can't go after both. You've got one mini mid-level and that's why, that's why losing Kendrick Nunn this season been such a big loss. The Lakers had one guy that they could spend their mini mid-level on and they spent it on Kendrick Nunn, assuming that he was going to be a big piece for them. THT as well. They paid THT to be a rotation piece for them. Kendrick Nunn, they paid him more than the veteran minimum because they expected him to be a rotation piece. He hasn't played all season. THT has not been that good. That's That's been part of the Lakers' problem is the guys they expected to carry some of the burden have not been good. And fortunately, they've found, they've found some guys in Austin Reeves and Stanley Johnson, players like that, to carry some of the burden for them. My goodness, imagine if they hadn't found those guys where they would be right now. Oh, that could be rough. Uh, Maddie James, difference between the 2012-2013 season was you had a guy named Kobe that could will a team to win. Well, I think LeBron can will the team to win as well. Uh, but there are some similarities between kind of the vibe of those seasons. It's been, let's face it, a lot of this season has been fairly joyless. You just, even going into the fourth, up 10, you just had this feeling of dread. You had a feeling like, they're going to find a way to lose this game. And that's really what it feels like. It feels like the Lakers are finding ways in some of these to lose. They're finding, they, they can't seem to get out of their own way. And people say, well, give the Hawks credit. Sure, give the Hawks credit. But the Lakers have this MO of doing this. The Lakers have a history now of doing this, of finding ways to lose games that they really should have won. And this is certainly one of them. Gravy artworks. Kobe would play through knee soreness. LeBron quit on the coach. We need wins. I, I think that's jumping to conclusions there. If Look, if you remember Kobe from that final season, you know he was out a number of games. He didn't play every single night. That wasn't that wasn't Kobe. Um, and you don't know exactly what LeBron's dealing with. If it's swelling in his knee and you're concerned, like what if the risk for injury, what if the medical staff is telling you if you play, there's a risk here where you could injure yourself worse and be out the entire season. You telling me that you would tell LeBron just suck it up and play? All we know is that he has swelling in his knee. That's all that Frank Vogel has said. They've kept everything very close. So I, I think we're jumping to conclusions if we assume, oh, LeBron's just not tough. That's why, that's why he's not playing. I don't think that's necessarily the case or fair to, to jump to that conclusion. Mook Morris said, is it possible Kendrick Nunn doesn't play at all this season. You know, the Lakers have consistently said that's not something they're looking at. 
That's not, they, they haven't given that sense. From everything we've heard, every press conference we've done with Frank Vogel um, and others, we've never gotten the sense that they're really looking, okay, just shut down Kendrick Nunn for the season. Um, they've expected him back. He was expected back in the month of January. And then he was dealing with more soreness when he ramped up. He was still doing shooting drills before last game. I'm assuming he probably did them before this game as well. I think they still expect him back this season. We're not at the point where that call has been made. And it doesn't feel like just the, the sense we're getting from the Lakers. It doesn't feel like that's something that's even on the table right now. Now, if he has another setback and he's not back until, I don't know, April or something like that or March or whatever. Okay. Then, then maybe then maybe that will be on the table. But right now, the sense I have is that that's not, that's not something they're really discussing. Brandon Robinson, realistic, ideal starting lineup. LeBron, AD, Malik, HBK, and Russ. Okay. Okay. Um, and then you've got Bench, Avery Bradley, Mello, THT, Stanley Johnson, and Dwight, or Ariza closing. LeBron, uh, or Ariza closing lineup. LeBron, AD, Malik, Mello, Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves. I kind of like Stanley Johnson in the starting lineup. I think defensively, you need him out there. Uh, he gives you a little bit more size as well that, as compared to Austin Reeves. And I love what you're getting out of Austin Reeves. I'm just thinking in terms of the way the team is set up. I think you need a big wing defender out there uh, with LeBron and AD. I like that combination. And so I like Stanley Johnson in the starting five. I think Austin Reeves is fantastic and he can definitely give you positive minutes out there. Uh, but... I also think you mentioning Malik Monk in the starting five is interesting. It's something we have to discuss. See, Frank Vogel, his natural mindset is defense first. How do we get stops? That's how we're going to win a game. We're going to get stops. Obviously did not work today because they needed stops in the fourth. Didn't happen. But Frank Vogel, his go-to, his default mode is defense. Let's go defense first. When the chips are down, we need defense, right? It's kind of like if you're an MMA fan. You see a fighter who gets punched and what do they what do they do when they feel like they're in trouble? They go to whatever they think they are best at. If that's wrestling, they grab a guy and they try to take him down. If that's striking, they try to get up off the off the ground and see if they can throw some punches, right? They go to whatever their default mode is. Right now, the Lakers have been punched. And so I think Frank Vogel goes defense first. That's going to be his default mode. And that's where a guy like Stanley Johnson gets out there. But I also think there's a point where an offensive player, because Malik Monk is not a great defender, but a guy is so good on offense that you can't overlook it. Even if, even if your default mode is defense, you see what Malik Monk is doing out on the floor. You see the floor spacing he gives you. You see the way teams have to stay glued to him behind the three-point line because he's having such a great season shooting the ball. And I think that's where you take the gamble. Ideally, yes, you'd love to have a defender next to Russ that can shoot threes, right? You would love to have that. But Malik Monk has got to be getting all the minutes that he can that he can handle. And that probably means starting. Even if you're giving up a little bit on defense, you mitigate that a bit with LeBron, AD, and Stanley being on the floor together. And so I think Malik Monk in the starting lineup has to be a priority for the Lakers right now. He's, he's too good. He's too good not to give him all the minutes that he can handle. And Stanley Johnson's getting paid. Uh, somebody said, Trevor, you skipped me. Don't worry, guys. I am, I'm saving Super Chats. So some of them I might not be getting in the flow of things, but I'll come back and get to. Um, he's so good that you've got to, you've got to give him those minutes. He's creating for you on offense. He's hitting tough shots. He can score from all, all three levels. He's passing the ball. 
He's getting assists, doing everything that you need. Everything that you need. All right, let me get into some of the, the super chats that I may have, have missed here as we're going through. Uh, comment here said, AD is exerting so much energy at the five. Put a rim protector next to him. Also, three, six, three guards should never be on the floor together. Okay, I talked about that one a little bit. Um, AD being at the five, putting a rim protector next to him. The six, three guards, I think the Lakers kind of started to run out of players. Like, if you look down the bench and you're Frank Vogel, and this is the problem I'm talking about, if you're Frank Vogel and you look down the bench and you see Trevor Reza as an option, if you see, I mean, like you can't really put him in a game. Do you see DeAndre Jordan? You see Wayne Ellington, who maybe you're worried about him defensively. There's not a lot of players he can turn to. There's not. In fact, I would, I would do this if I were you guys. Sit down and try to make a Lakers rotation. Do it. Sit down, split it up. Give yourself three-minute periods, right? 12 minutes to nine minutes, nine minutes to six, six minutes to three, three minutes to, to zero. Four quarters, build a rotation for each position and try to keep enough floor spacing and enough defense on the floor at all times. At all times, try to keep enough floor spacing and enough defense on the floor without doing something ridiculous like playing LeBron 46 minutes or, or whatever, right? 45 minutes, whatever it is. Try to do it. It's not easy. It's not easy when you look at this Lakers roster to sit down and build a lineup that gives you competency across the board for the entire game. It's tough. It really is. I was working on it a couple of nights ago and I'm like, this is, it's a really difficult exercise to put together something that makes sense. So while I understand the frustration and there have been moments where Frank Vogel has blown it with his rotations. Again, he got the master lock last game. There's no question. He has blown it with rotations at times this season. At times, it's, and I'm not trying to defend him here, but I'm saying it's also a difficult thing with the roster the way it is right now to try to put together lineups that are com that completely make sense and are well-rounded with the pieces that are on the team at the moment. And again, that just fits into, if you can find a move, if there's any move out there, you got to give it serious consideration if you're the Lakers. Uh, Chad Beard said, Trevor, although mathematically the season's not over, it's over. They've lost 30 games. They have 30 games left and are not getting better. Can we talk about the offseason yet? Well, we've spent a little bit of time talking about the offseason already. I've said it before. Maybe we aren't talking about this enough. But if you look at the Lakers salary cap sheet, the Lakers have sneakily built in a ton of cap room for not this summer, but next summer. They've got a mountain of cap space. Now that may change the, the trade deadline in a week and a half could change this. The off season coming up could change this. If LeBron decides, you know what? I want to keep playing. I'm going to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's scoring record. And after that, I'm still going to keep playing. I want to resign. That can change things obviously drastically. But as of right now, the Lakers have Anthony Davis and THT has a player option. That's it. That's all you have on the books right now past next season. So it's possible it's possible that the Lakers heading into that next offseason go into the summer of 2023 with all the spending power. All the spending power, they are way under the cap and they can make major, major moves. Now, again, again, that may, by the time we get there, that might change. You can make moves now, you can make moves this summer that will impact how much cap space you actually have. But moving forward, I know people are looking at it as though, oh, the Lakers, they're, they're done for years. They've got nothing. They actually have a ton of flexibility starting summer after this one. Summer after this one, they've got a ton of flexibility. 
Uh, Mook Morris said, what a mess of a season in roster construction as well. Only a couple of games away from the 10 seed and out of the play-ins as well. How far do we go? I, I'm not worried about the Lakers dropping out of the play-in tournament or anything like that. Again, I think when LeBron gets back, this team can still make some noise. I still think this team can be dangerous. But every single time it feels like, and this has been all season, and this is part of the frustration, every single time it feels like they take two steps forward, immediately, boom, two steps back. Immediately, it's, it's amazing, uncanny, the way they've done this this season. We even see it in-game. Look at this, the third quarter. They picked things up, got a few stops defensively. Things look pretty good. Boom, they're up 10. Immediately, four minutes into the into the fourth quarter, right back. A lead is gone, evaporated. They just seem to have this way of shooting themselves in the foot. And it's across a variety of areas. It's not even just in on-court play. It's, it's the things that are happening off the court. It's injuries. We had one game. One game where LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russ were healthy. And then immediately, boom, suddenly there's a knee issue for LeBron. It's this constant step up, step back, step up, step back. All season long, that's that's frustrating, and I can see it here with a, with a lot of Lakers fans. So understandable, but I still think this team can make noise if they are healthy, which is a big if. And really, this is the same thing we were saying Last season, last season, I spent the entire season just about saying the same thing, saying if the Lakers get healthy, they can be tough to beat, right? As much as we saw them slide, we kept saying, okay, okay, all the Lakers need, the Lakers can have a month before the playoffs where they're healthy, they can develop a rhythm and they can be the team nobody wants to see in the playoffs. Okay, all right, all right, okay, another guy's hurt. All right, two weeks. If the Lakers can have two weeks where they're healthy before the playoffs, oh, no, another guy's hurt, okay. Let's go one week. Oh, no. Now, okay. Nope. Schroeder tested positive. Okay. So now, if they can be healthy just for the playoffs, maybe they can find their rhythm in the play. Oh, no. Wait. Oh, Anthony, Anthony Davis strained his groin. Okay. Well, that's that. That's what we did last season. And it kind of feels like that this season as well in terms of the constant up and down. And I think that has accumulated some frustration from Lakers fans as well is that it's not just it's not just this stuff happening in a vacuum this season it's last season was an emotionally draining season as well and so it's this accumulated frustration from fans which again totally understandable all right let me see what else we've got here by the way, the, the next man up, very clearly Malik Monk. He's fantastic. Speaking of which, one of the big questions is going to be, can the Lakers keep Malik Monk? Will a team offer him more than that mini mid-level exception? Probably will. Probably will. So can the Lakers actually hang on to him? He's been their best find so far this season. To get him on a veteran minimum, as much as we say, you know what, Trevor Ariza hasn't panned out, DeAndre Jordan hasn't panned out, some of these other guys have not panned out, right? Ken Bazemore. Malik Monk is a massive hit to get him on a veteran minimum deal is ridiculous. The problem is you're not going to be able to keep him this offseason unless you can move some things around. You're probably going to need at least the full mid-level exception to get him the deal that he needs. So there's a pretty decent chance that Malik Monk is playing in another uniform next season. Ray Emanuel, some of you complain that your chats are not read. In more than two years, Trevor has never read one of my chats. Well, there you go, Ray. I just read one. 
Gotcha. Jared Chalker. I wish the season would just end already. Is it really a guarantee that we make the playoffs anymore? This team is the only, uh, losing is the only consistency this team has. Yeah. So is it a guarantee they make the playoffs? I think they will. And I think the reason for it though, isn't because we've got so much optimism. The Lakers are going to be great, right? It's because the Western conference has actually been very forgiving this year. The West of this year has been pretty easy, frankly. I mean, you've got so many guys who have been out injured across so many different teams that you can be below 500 and still in the playoffs in the West. And historically that hasn't been the thing. Historically it's been 500 and above teams not making the playoffs in the West, but this season, the West has been very forgiving. And so that's why I still think the Lakers will make the playoffs here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, I've got a super chat here said, would trading for three and D guys salvage this season? It would certainly help certainly help. And that's part of the challenge when I'm trying to build out a rotation for the Lakers, find guys who can give you both things, floor spacing and defense. It's really tough. And we talked about that heading into the season, heading into the season. We talked about how the Lakers had a lot of guys who could shoot threes and a lot of guys who could play defense, but not a lot of guys who could do both. And historically, that's how you find success with LeBron James. You find guys who can play really strong defense and can give you some floor spacing, can shoot from outside. So when teams are paying all their attention to LeBron or all the attention to Anthony Davis, they can just knock down an open shot. That's what you're looking for. And so finding guys who can do that, yes, that would be great. But the problem is just about every team is looking for three and D players. Every team out there wants guys who can defend at a high level and hit threes. So finding them is really tough. And usually if you find them, you got to pay for them. And the Lakers only have the veteran minimum. Uh, Isle Farkash said, THT was really good in the first half and didn't come back until late in the third. Mello wasn't even trying to play defense and Vogel insisted to keep, keep him in. Well, Mello was really good last game. Mello was really good last game. Uh, Reyes says, out of here, chat. See you later, Ray. Hopefully I didn't offend you there. I was just messing with you on that previous chat that you had. Um, but Mello was really good last game. I thought Mello had some decent moments in this one. And just there were a number of times, and we've seen this recently from Mello, where the ball has swung to him. He's one of the Lakers' better three-point shooters. He's had an open three, critical moment, and it just rims out. Like everything. There was a play where Austin Reeves got into the paint, sucked in the defense, 
kicked out to Mello for an open three, went about as far down in as, in as it can, and then came out. It just happens sometimes. And if that shot goes down, we're saying, oh, Carmelo Anthony, thank goodness he was in there, right? That can be the difference. Now, defensively, last game, I thought Carmelo was pretty engaged. This game, and nobody was, let's face it. When the Hawks are shooting 58% from the field, nobody's that engaged on the defensive end of the floor in this one. Let's see. Um, <laughs> Cecil Jackson said, do you think Avery Bradley has some dirt on Vogel? Why on earth is he getting more minutes than Reeves? Well, in this game, Austin Reeves got 26 minutes and Avery Bradley got 22. So that did not happen in this one. I believe it wasn't the case last game either. Now, Avery Bradley was dealing with a stomach illness, but 20 minutes for Avery Bradley last game, 28 minutes for Austin Reeves. So Avery Bradley is starting and maybe that's changing the perception but Austin Reeves, the last few games, has been getting more minutes, which I think is correct. I think that's how it should be. I think Reeves should be getting more minutes. Avery Bradley is starting, but again, sometimes the minutes, they matter more than who's in the starting lineup and who's not. And you can argue that Austin Reeves should be starting. I think you can definitely make a strong argument there. But at least we're seeing the minutes probably how they should be, with Reeves getting the lion's share of them compared to A.B. Jamie Singleton from Facebook, can Russ be bought out after the season? In theory, sure. Let's say he picks up that $447 million player option, which everybody is assuming he will. In theory, yeah, you could buy him out, but then you've got that dead money sitting on your books and there's nothing you can do with it. So let's say $47 million expiring contract. Let's say in the offseason you decide we don't want to do this anymore. We're moving on from Russ. And Russ says, you know what? I'll take 40. Give me 40 million. I'll go away. I'll hit the open market. I'll be a free agent. Russ gets to go play for somebody else. You still have that money if you're the Lakers sitting on your books. Now you can stretch it if you want over three seasons, but then you're doing the Luol Dang where we're counting down how long till the dead money from Russ is off the books, right? So you probably don't want to do that. And then let's say come the trade deadline next year, a deal pops up where a $47 million expiring contract would have been useful. Well, you can't trade it now. As soon as you buy that player out, boom, that money is locked in on your salary cap. You can do nothing. There is no way to remove it from your cap. If that's the case, you're probably better off not buying him out and just keeping him on the team. You just keep him on the team and, and you see, hopefully he can play well and, and you can do something there. Or maybe as an expiring contract, you can find a trade. It's easier. It's still not easy to trade a $47 million deal, but it's easier to trade a $47 million expiring deal rather than the deal right now that he's got, which is $44 million, and then there's another $47 million coming next year. Dre Johnson, everybody keeps saying fire Vogel, but not realizing there's nobody better. That is, a lot of people have been blaming Vogel for what's going on. And again, I'm not saying Vogel's been perfect. He definitely hasn't. But that is part of the reason why Frank Vogel is still coaching the Lakers. Is because, according to reporting from ESPN, the Lakers realized that if we release Frank Vogel, does that fix anything? Does that fix any of the problems? Is there another coach sitting out there right now that's willing to come in and take over with 30 games left on the season that is going to increase our chance of winning? 
is does that exist right now? Probably not. So what's the point then? What's the what does that do? Probably doesn't do anything. Now, Frank Vogel only has one year more year on his contract. So honestly, unless the Lakers suddenly go on this run, I doubt that the Lakers keep Frank Vogel next season. And I won't even say this is all on this isn't all on Frank Vogel. We've talked about this. If you break up the Cam Brothers blame pie, as it were, I, I think Vogel is a piece of it. Is he the main piece? No. I don't think so. I don't think so, but he's a piece of it. I think someone else will be coaching the Lakers next season based on the way this season has gone. I don't know if it fixes everything, though. I think a lot of the problems for the Lakers have had to do with the roster construction, the way things have been assembled, the way things have been put together, the decisions that have been made over the last two off-seasons, both in trades and in free agent signings. That has a lot to do with what we've seen as well. Well, so some bad luck in terms of injuries and things of that nature also. So I do think somebody else coaches the Lakers next season. As far as why they don't get rid of Vogel right now, it's probably because of the lack of an alternative option out there. It's probably what you hand the reins to, to Phil Handy and hope that, that he can get things going. That would be the alternative option right now. Is that better than Frank Vogel? I don't know. Faisal said, isn't it time for Vogel to move on? We've seen enough. He's not capable of cultivating the energy and the strategic planning to steer them to a championship. Uh, again, I kind of just addressed this, but yeah, I think ultimately Vogel will move on after this season, but I think the Lakers have made the decision. So now maybe this road trip going to and four on this road trip, maybe this changes their mind. Okay. I'm not saying this is guaranteed, but what we've heard from the moment is that the Lakers have decided to stick with Frank Vogel for the rest of the season. But again, that can change. One phone call can change that. One one meeting can change that. So I'm not assuming he finishes out the season, but that's what we're hearing right now is that he finishes out the season. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. DQ, oh boy, here we go. Start looking to move LeBron. Use the Pats strategy and trade a year early. Start thinking about the post-Bron slash Russ era. This is on the GM and LeBron. So if LeBron were to be traded, first of all, you'd have a whole ton of possibilities if LeBron were to be traded. The Lakers will not do that, though. The Lakers have created this partnership with LeBron James. Let's face it, when he's played, he's been playing at an MVP caliber level. That's not a guy you just part with. It would take LeBron going to the Lakers and saying, please trade me. The Lakers will not go trade him. They won't. They just, they won't do that. It would take LeBron going to the Lakers and asking for them to trade him, for him to be traded. I, I don't think that's going to happen. The second that there was even a rumbling of that, you saw some of the Boston-based media, which you guys know who they are, um, the, the East Coast media was kind of, taking a shot at the Lakers saying, saying maybe the Lakers need to move on from LeBron. Somebody get LeBron to a winner, things like that. Right. Um, free LeBron from the Lakers, all that kind of stuff. 
as soon as that picked up any kind of traction, this was like six weeks ago, there was an immediate response from LeBron's side saying that's not happening. Immediate. I don't think that moving LeBron is something in the cards. Whether you want to say strategically that's that should be the move, you just go ahead and move some pieces and try to you know get some draft assets and, and things like that. Okay, you might think that that's the way to go. The Lakers are not going to do that though. It would, again, it would take LeBron requesting a trade for them to do that. All right. Um, Ori Ronan said, Hey Trevor, first time on here live. Thanks to Sunday's early game. Thank you. Why was Russ guarding Trey? The dagger three is definitely on him. Shalom from Israel. Well, welcome in from Israel. I don't know if we've had very many people coming here. We always love getting our international, international viewers coming in. And this was as much as I complained about it on Twitter, the early start to the game, the silver lining was international viewers, depending on where they were, got a better start time for them. Again, depending on where, where they are. But we had some people who wouldn't normally get to see a game at a, a reasonable time who did get to. So that was the silver lining to this, this very early start time, 10 a.m. Pacific time for the Lakers. So um, as far as why Russ was guarding Trey in transition, yeah, I don't like that matchup either. But again, a lot of it was coming off of Lakers misses. And so they're kind of in scramble mode and you just have to pick up the nearest guy. I'll also say there were a lot of moments, and I don't recall on that specific three whether or not this was the case, but the Hawks went to some switch hunting in the second half where they were trying to get Malik Monk switched onto Trey and trying to get Russell Westbrook switched onto Trey, knowing that that would probably give them better scoring opportunities as they should. So that was part of it too. It wasn't the Lakers on purpose scheming Russell Westbrook onto Trey. A lot of it was the Hawks doing what they could to make that matchup appear, which is what a lot of teams do. I mean, we see the Lakers do it with LeBron. They try to get a big switched onto LeBron or a guard, you know, the great example was LeBron just switch hunted Lou Williams to death against the Clippers a couple of years ago. Like literally went high pick and roll and got Lou Williams switched onto him every single play for the final, what, four or five minutes against the Clippers. By the way, Lakers take on the Clippers in a few days again. And the Clippers today blew out the Hornets, the team who the Lakers lost to a couple of nights ago by three, a game that they really were down to. The Clippers, and that's part of the frustration here too. The Clippers without Paul George, without Kawhi, are still finding ways to get these upset wins that you wouldn't expect. And the Lakers just, even with AD and, and Russ, can't seem to find a way to get it get it done consistently. All right, let's do a few more here. D said, Trevor, stop saying the Lakers can be dangerous. The Lakers are not winning, not this season. I'm ready for next season and see what changes we make. Look, I get it. I get it. There's a lot of frustration out there. There's a lot of reason why people are already saying, you know what, forget it. Fast forward, hit the reset button, and let's see what happens in the offseason. Totally understandable. Like I said, this has been kind of a joyless season for the Lakers um, and for Lakers fans. But I'm saying there's still a chance they could do something if everybody's healthy, if you can make the right moves. That chance is diminishing, just like their margin of error has diminished. Heading into the season, we said, okay, this team's got a chance to be pretty good. Now that's that's kind of erased. We're at a point where maybe if things really click, LeBron goes on a run, AD's really good, Russ finds a way to, to fit in. There's so many question marks. I would now say it's not likely that the Lakers go on a run in the postseason, but I'm not going to completely dismiss it either. What do you think about Westbrook to the Knicks, Trevor, from Dame? Uh, look, I don't think the Knicks would be interested. If they are, then sure. I'm sure the Lakers would be interested in exploring some options. I'm sure they would. 
Uh, Hugo Martinez, Trevor, how concerned should we be on LeBron's knee moving forward? Frank Vogel doesn't sound super concerned. Sounds like it's just a little bit of swelling. As soon as the swelling's gone, he'll be back in there. They did imaging. The imaging didn't show. This is what Frank Vogel told us before the game. We were talking with him. And what was funny is the first question was, what's the update on LeBron? It wasn't even, is AD playing? Or it was, what's the update on LeBron? And then like four out of the next five questions were about LeBron James, even though we got the answer. Um, Vogel did elaborate that they did an MRI on his knee. Found nothing. Only thing they found was just swelling. That's it. Now, is there more that they really found and they're just not telling us? Maybe. But as of right now, they said they didn't find anything else on the imaging. They're just dealing with some swelling. As soon as the swelling's down, they'll put them in. They'll put them in. So that's something to consider um, as, a, as a positive. But that said, until he's out on the floor, I'm not going to feel great about it. The Lakers also have a history of underselling injuries. Um, they've done that in the past. I don't, I mean, look at the Kendrick Nunn situation. I don't know if that's exactly the case here with Kendrick Nunn, but historically it's been a thing where the Lakers have said, guy's going to be reevaluated in this time. Fans are kind of expecting him back in that much time. And then they're actually out double. So until LeBron's back out on the floor, we just have to kind of play it by ear, wait and see. It's good, though. At least they're saying they didn't find anything on the imaging. That's the that's the glasses half full part. Isle Farkash said, is it, is it a possibility? Russ declines his player option, renegotiates his contract, so we'll have more room to improve in the offseason. Yes. I wouldn't say it's likely. I wouldn't say it's likely, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility. So... Um, type William said, can you respond to my super chat type possible? I missed it. If I missed it, just throw me the question again and, uh, and I'll read it. It doesn't have to be a super chat. If I missed it, I missed it. Um, is it a possibility Russ does that? Sure. But what you're talking about is extending to a longer period, right? If for Russell Westbrook to turn down 47 million, he would have to believe that after that 47 million, he's not going to have a big market. He's going to be maybe a veteran minimum guy after that, which I don't think he is, but he would have to believe that the money would pretty much dry up after that 47 million was gone. So that's where you could come in and offer him like three years. I talked about this on the last show, three years, 60 million. And that three years, 60 million at 20 million per season would give the Lakers a little bit more spending power in the here and now in exchange for having Russ under contract for longer. And for Russ's perspective, you're getting 60 million in total because you believe that you wouldn't make up that if you took 47 million, you believe that over those next two seasons, you wouldn't get a total of 13 million from teams. So by doing the longer deal, you're going to get more money as a result. That would be the way the situation would have to play out in order for something like that to work. And I know a lot of people are saying Russ won't turn down 47 million. Agreed. Agreed. I, I firmly believe just as pretty much everybody around the NBA that he will pick up the $47 million player option. I'm talking about the scenario where it could work for him to actually do that, but I would say it's really unlikely. It's really unlikely. Do you think LeBron is out recruiting? Super chat. Out recruiting? I mean, I'm sure if there's if players hit the market in terms of buyout, um, he will. He'll he'll be out there. He'll be trying to get players. He'll be trying to do what he can do. Uh, there's not a whole lot of recruiting to be done at the moment, though. Uh, for next season, sure, maybe, maybe, maybe he's out recruiting. I don't know how early he starts all that. He apparently had a, had everything set up in his house. Set up, he had a meeting room set up in his house 
for free agents and, and all of that. Let's see. Let's do a few more. By the way, the, the master lock of the night, which is something we always get into. The master lock of the night, taking our, our good friend Chris, the Masterpiece Masters, his finishing hold in the, the wrestling ring. We take whatever the most frustrating thing from the game and we put it in the master lock. I think that in this case, certainly the Lakers giving up a 10-point fourth quarter lead should be, yeah, should be something that is master lock worthy. Trey Young, though, is always a candidate whenever the Lakers are playing Trey Young because... I personally find his find his game to be a little a little annoying at times because he complains a lot and he does a lot to try to get foul calls and things of that nature. Um, and that said, he's a he's an amazingly talented player. He is fantastic, one of the best young players in the NBA. Eight for eleven from the free throw line tonight for Trey. And Trey, he tried some stuff. He was complaining a lot to the referees in the first half. He actually got a technical foul, uh, and there were some things where the refs didn't call it. Where, where Trey tried some of his tricks and the refs didn't fall for it. And that's the part that's always gotten to me. I don't, I don't want to see players create a move or a particular play where the goal of the play is to get the whistle to blow. The goal of the play should be to score the basket. And if you get fouled while you're doing that legitimately, okay, fine. You get your free throw. But the goal, the, su the success of the play should not hinge on whether or not you get the whistle to blow. Right? That's not, when, you, when you've got the ball, that's not what you're trying to do. Or it's not what you should be trying to do. Kind of goes against the spirit of the game. And that's what Trey Young was doing a lot last season. James Harden also fits in this category. And I was so happy that the NBA instituted rules to get rid of some of that. Now, I did think Trey Young got, got away with one of them on Stanley Johnson, where he did the stop, jump back into the defender thing, and the ref called a foul for him. So he does still get some of those through. But I would love to see those just completely eliminated from the game. Let's get rid of that stuff. It's, it goes against the spirit of, of basketball. And so I'd like to see that stuff go away. Um, so he's always a consideration for the master lock. Some people are saying master lock Vogel. Master lock the referees. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of those. But again, I think ultimately, as much as Trey Young is a master lock candidate, I got a master lock, the Lakers giving up a 10 point fourth quarter lead. Again, they've found ways to do this, lose games that they were in the lead. So if I had to, to nail it down, this is getting the master lock. It's the Lakers blowing a big lead once again. All right. Let me see if we've got any more coming in here that we need to get to before we call it a day. And we go check out some football. I have not been keeping updated on the chiefs game. And what's going on there? So I'm going to have to give that one a look. In just a bit, somebody said Master Lock Trevor Lane. Okay, fair. Maybe I deserve that. Uh, Type Williams said three-team trade, Russ plus the 2027 pick to the Rockets, Wall to the 76ers, Simmons to the Lakers. Maybe something else from the Lakers to Sixers to help. Uh, the Sixers aren't going to do that. They want much more. In fact, what we're hearing now is that the Sixers are so set on James Harden that, in fact, other teams around the NBA are starting to question whether or not tampering has been taking place. Oh, thanks for the update. Peter Nguyen said 21 to 10 Chiefs at the moment. Appreciate it. Um, other teams around the NBA are starting to question whether or not tampering has taken place to the point where the 76ers have already had conversations about James Harden, with James Harden, about him coming in this summer when he's a free agent and then doing a sign and trade with the Nets, Simmons for Harden. And in theory, I mean, if, if James Harden says he's going to leave, 
the Nets probably aren't going to find a better player in a sign and trade than Ben Simmons. I mean, that's the, the, probably the best you could hope for if you're the Brooklyn Nets. So it would make some sense. And if the, if the 76ers are now at the point where teams have always had, and Keith Smith and I over on the front office show, which I put the link in the description, you guys should definitely subscribe to it. Uh, we talk Monday through Friday, the entire NBA teams from the get go were being given the impression by the 76ers that Daryl Morey doesn't want to make a trade, that he doesn't want a deal, that his asking price was so high, the teams are actually being driven away. The Kings have already tapped out. Said they, and the Kings were probably one of the top options, one of the teams that could offer the most for Ben Simmons. And the Kings have said, this is crazy. No, we're, we're done. We're walking away. We're not going to make, we're not going to do this. The asking price from the 76ers have been so high that teams are suspicious that something has happened behind the scenes. Something's gone on. They know they've got something coming in the summer. And that's why they're suddenly asking for the moon, or at least have been asking for the moon for Ben Simmons to the point where teams are questioning whether or not tampering has taken place because something's gone. The, the sense is the 76ers are, they're asking for so much that it's clear they don't even actually want to make a trade. It's an interesting situation and one to keep an eye on. If this goes down this off season, and Ben Simmons goes to the Nets and the Nets send James Harden to the 76ers, I would expect the tampering investigation to take place. I think it would probably happen because enough teams that are trying to negotiate with the 76ers are getting frustrated and there's been so much smoke around this Harden thing that it feels like perhaps there have been discussions that have taken place outside of the rules of the NBA. All right, guys, appreciate all of you joining me. Obviously, it is a football weekend. There's NFL playoffs going on. This wasn't a very fun Lakers game, given what happened. So I appreciate all of you who are in here with me to talk a little Lakers basketball. Uh, we will, of course, be back. We're doing, remember, we're doing Lakers Nation podcasts now, five days a week at minimum, at minimum. So every time we have a postgame show, that counts as the next day's podcast. So today's podcast, today's postgame show, will be Monday's podcast for anybody driving to work or whatever Monday morning. But there's no game Monday. So that means tomorrow I'm going to do a full Lakers Nation podcast and that'll be out there for you. It'll also be up on the YouTube channel. The Lakers don't play again until I believe Wednesday. So Tuesday, I'll have another one out. So every single time that there is no game, Monday through Friday, you can expect the podcast up the next day, full length, probably be at least 25 minutes plus, breaking down everything in more of a long form way. Um, for everybody out there, because I felt like that was something that we weren't really hitting. We had gotten a lot into this um, question and answer format with post games, and I love it. I love getting to come in here and talk to you guys and, and go through everything right after the game. It's a blast, but we had kind of lost our traditional podcast format because of it. So again, nothing going away. This just means more Lakers Nation content for you guys. And it's been a lot of fun so far. So be on the lookout for that as well. Again, over on the LakersNation.com YouTube channel, as well as anywhere that you listen to podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. All right, guys. Appreciate you joining me. Hopefully we get some good football the rest of the way to make our day a little bit better. Till next time, everybody. Stay safe and see ya.